Welcome to the world of critical care. Today's episode covers massive transfusion protocols. Now, there is a host of things we could talk about. Honestly, this could be a two-hour episode. My goal today is to skip a lot of the underlying hemodynamic discussions we could have and the post-resuscitative discussion. There's a lot of more in-depth analysis we could do, but I want to focus in on the policy itself, when you get that order to mass transfuse a patient, what do you do? This is a situation that tends to be really high stress, but often it's not something you do regularly. I still remember the first time I did this, I was on a medical ICU at night. It was very unexpected, and I just had no idea what was going on. It was one of those where most of the nurses around me were new nurses. They didn't know how to do the process. And honestly, things like calcium, Transamic acid, things like a one-to-one-to-one ratio, thinking about not over-diluting as we transfuse. I mean, permissive hypotension, all these topics are things, they were not even remotely in my mind. And, and just the stress of the situation tends to overwhelm you if you've not been through this. And so I want to really talk through this because this is something that even if you haven't done it, having a mental rehearsal and, and regularly mentally rehearsing what you would do, I think can prepare you greatly for the first time you do mass transfuse. And remember too, just because you don't work in a trauma ICU or a post-surgical ICU, you can mass transfuse. It is something I do see a bit more often working in a cardiovascular ICU. But to be honest, not too long ago, I was floated to a neuro ICU and we mass transfused. It's not something that happens there typically, but it can happen. So again, remember... You never know when this could occur. Now, you have a provider, and they've placed a massive transfusion protocol. Massive transfusion protocol typically means we're going to administer a significant amount of blood products in a short period of time. A lot of different people, different discussions about what the exact definition is, but in general, we're in a situation where we're talking about doing 10, 15, 20 plus blood products in rapid succession. I'm coming at this from the bedside nurse perspective. I received that order. Number one, I triple check that order is correct. Remember, time is of the essence. So make sure we do have in the correct order. Number two, I delegate someone to call blood bank and to confirm with blood bank they've received these orders and that it's going. Number three, I have someone who will be delegated to go down to blood bank, wait for that cooler of blood products, and and right away bring them to the room. This is incredibly important step. Another thing I'm going to do, we're going to typically draw a significant amount of labs and send them stat to lab. If you have capabilities on your unit or you're in an OR to do labs as well on site, that's again incredibly important. We're looking at things typically like a CBC, PT, PTT. We're looking at things like we're going to check our fibrinogen levels. We're going to look at things like a TAG. We want to also make sure we don't have a significant electrolyte abnormality. So things like calcium and mag, check our FOS. We're going to make sure too, if we have the opportunity to do a VBG or an ABG, do we have some sort of significant acidosis? Again, These are things that help us set our clinical baseline for moving forwards, but also help us make sure we didn't miss something that's obviously contributing to our patient's uh, significant hemorrhage. Now, 
Typically in this phase, you have a patient that has a very evolving hemodynamic status. So once I've delegated those few steps initially, I check back in with my, I'm, I'm also in my patient's room, but I'm thinking about, are they clinically stable or not? And so again, typically in this situation, we are going to be on a vasopressor. We're going to want to make sure we're really actively monitoring our patient's hemodynamic status, but being careful not to overpress our patients. Often we're going to allow for permissive hypotension in this situation. So allowing a MAP goal potentially a little lower to lessen that hydrostatic pressure, right? That pressure against our vessel walls. We want to drop that down to decrease bleeding. I like to circle in with my patient and say, okay, where are we? Is my pressure in goal? Things we can do to help the pressure as well include a supine patient position. Often, too, in initial phases as we're moving into the massive transfusion, we're waiting. We might give a crystalloid, often LR. One of the reasons we might do this is to just give us a little volume expansion. Remember, crystalloids typically third space, so a liter of crystalloid usually about 750 moves into the interstitial space, but this may be indicated to maintain our status as we're waiting for the blood products. Now, this is helpful because one of our body's natural capabilities to prevent the hypotension associated with hemorrhage is transcapillary refill, so we actually get blood flowing or a fluid flowing from the interstitial space into the vascular space up to one liter when we have hemorrhage. But again, it's really important the balances we have in fluid. And so by giving some resuscitation, we're able to help restore some of what was lost. Often a colloid could be given during this time. Something like 5% albumin can be incredibly helpful with volume expansion as we're waiting for the blood products to arrive. Typically, you're looking at something 10 to 15 minutes, maybe a little more, a little less, until the products come to the room. And so a few things I like to think about. One, I'm going to delegate someone to go get the rapid transfuser. Whether this be a Belmont, a level one, etc., have someone bring the mass transfuser to the room. Also, I typically ask them to get a couple liters of NS to bring so we can prime our rapid transfuser and have plenty of blood tubing products to give additional blood products. So I like to ask, could you know bring like six to eight, you know, of our blood tubing, pressure bags? We have plenty of NS to be able to run the mass transfuser, but also to give separate blood products. I think it's also valuable at this point to have a discussion with pharmacy, if they happen to be there, or the providers, if they're interested in, in things like transamic acids, so TXA. Again, that's more indicated for our trauma situations, but it's a discussion to have and to think about if we need to go ahead and pull it and have it in the room. Okay, so now where a patient is at least stable in the best sense that we can be stable in the current situation, we're bringing the rapid transfuser in the room. We've got all of our labs sent. There's two, a couple other things I think about. We talked about patient positioning, permissive hypertension, normothermia. We want our patient to be normothermic. It is a big, big deal. Hypothermia drives coagulopathy. Our clotting cascade does not occur the same in cooler temperatures. The reactions slow down. 
And so we want to keep our patient normothermic. Even if they are normothermic, I typically will get a bear hugger and start warming my patient up to preempt the fact that even with something like the Belmont mass transfuser, which warms our fluid, we still typically have temperature drops. In addition to temperature, another thing we're thinking about is acidemia. We do not want to be acidotic. When we start moving into hemorrhagic shock, of course, we have decreased oxygen delivery to the cells, and so we can start to have some metabolic acidosis. Now, if we are on a ventilator, this is an opportunity to work with respiratory therapy to help in some way from a respiratory standpoint. Can we help mitigate acidosis if we have it? So we want to prevent hypothermia. We want to prevent acidosis as best we can. The next thing we want to think about is the line. Prep the line. What line am I going to use? If I'm on currently a significant amount of IV infusions, how can I consolidate these? Are these lines labeled? What line do I want to use? The gold standard ideally would be an HD line. We can get some of the best flow through an HD line. If that's a packed line with heparin, unpack it and use it. If we're looking at a normal central line, remember that, that if we have like a triple lumen, a quad lumen central line, those are not all the same gauge. If you look on those lumens, you typically will see the gauge number on the side. You're going to want to use your largest bore for your mass transfusion. If you had the little pressure port, the clave on the end, you want to take that off and hook that line up directly to your mass transfuser. When you prime your mass transfuser, I typically want to be careful, especially with the Belmont, it can be easy to over prime it. Remember with the Belmont, on the top in particular, anything you hook up to it, if it is unclamped, it gets sucked down into the mass transfusion chamber. The reason I say that is because I had a situation before where I primed one and I didn't quite pay attention and I realized I had suddenly primed two liters of NS into it, which one, we don't want to administer that much NS to a patient because NS can worsen acidosis, large boluses can, and so we want to be careful about that. We want to use just enough NS to deliver our blood product effectively to our patient. That's something to keep in mind. Now, when the blood is finally brought into the room, I like to have three nurses go through this process. Nurse one is going to be running the mass transfuser. Nurse number two is going to be doing the sign off with the bedside nurse. The bedside nurse, I think the, the thing that's helpful here is to be the one grabbing the blood products out of the cooler, doing the sign off with the other nurse, and then telling that nurse what to do with the blood product. During this process, I find it incredibly helpful to have a blank sheet of paper and I write down every product that's given and what time it's given. Now, some protocols do have sheets that come along with the protocols that you fill out. Even if I'm doing that, which like our facility does do that, I like to have a separate sheet and trend everything that's going on. You typically don't have a lot of time. You can't really chart during this process. It can be very challenging. But this is a way I can keep a written record of every product and everything that's been given to my patient. The person who is running the mass transfuser, I think it's helpful to be one of your most experienced people. 
the person doing the sign-off can be someone of less experience because they're largely someone there that you're just delegating tasks to. The reason I like to be the one taking the products from the cooler is I can ensure that we're doing our one-to-one-to-one ratio. Remember, our patient is bleeding. They're not just losing packed reds, or sorry, red blood cells. They're losing red blood cells, and they're losing platelets, and they're losing plasma and clotting factors, and they're losing all of these equivalently. And so we want to do equivalent replacement. And so that's why most protocols use a round system. Now, protocols are either, they, you tend to see two different options. Option one is one packed red, one FFP, so fresh frozen plasma, one platelet. Or another protocol will be one packed red, one FFP, one platelet, one 10 pack of cryo. Again, remember cryo is just our concentrated clotting factor, but we can think of it very rich in fibrinogen in particular. Now, the reason we want to administer these in that equivalent fashion is that helps us be equivalent to what's really being lost in our hemorrhaging patient. So when I reach into the bag, I want to get one packed red, one FFP, one platelet. I am going to do my per policy sign off with the other nurse. After this process, I'm going to tell that nurse to hang in the mass transfuser, the FFP, and the packed red. I'm going to tell them, remember, the platelets I don't want to put through the mass transfuser, ideally because we don't want to damage our platelets in particular with the warming. Ideally, I'm going to put the platelets separate and hang them gravity or do light pressure bag into my patient or use a pump to administer the platelets. Again, this can be done very quickly and rapidly, which is why I like to have multiple central line lumens ready and prepared to administer blood products. If your policy also includes cryo, remember, cryo is something we're ideally not going to add into our mass transfuser. Preferably, it's given separately. It's very small volumes. They're 20 to 30 mils per bag. It's very easy to give those with a little, just often if you have a good central line, get those gravity, flush a little NS behind them, boom, it's in. Now, typically, five to six rounds of this one-to-one-to-one ratio, we would have, we start to consider, okay, should we draw a new set of labs? Have we made progress progress in under, understanding the underlying cause? It's also a great opportunity to think about calcium at this point. Remember with calcium, the citrate in our blood product is going to bind to calcium, so it's going to decrease our calcium levels. This is a time we would consider calcium. Trauma, should we give TXA? At this point, with labs, remember, labs always, they give us a snapshot of what happened when we drew the lab. But remember, the labs often are behind this process. And so that's something to remember with our labs, that they do not necessarily inform what's occurring right now. They tell us what was occurring at the moment the blood product was given, or the lab was drawn. Now, if we go through another round, as it were, we will again continue to administer in that same ratio until the provider has decided we have achieved our goal. 
A few things to consider as we're doing this process. One, really overseeing that rapid transfuser, mentally making sure it's not being over diluted so we're not accidentally opening up a whole liter of NS into the chamber as we're flushing our blood products through and over diluting, making sure that we're not accidentally putting all of our platelets and cryo into the mass transfuser that our products are given appropriately. The other thing to remember during this process too is not to get too distracted from the other critical things going on. Patients' ventilatory status, right? We're giving massive blood products in a large quantity, short period of time. We, we could be potentially having a situation where we do start to have some pulmonary concern from fluid overload, right? Just because we're bleeding doesn't mean we can't have pulmonary issues from fluid overload. And so that's things to think about. Remember, we can have some of those really serious allergic reactions to blood products and we're giving them so quickly. There are just things to keep in your mind and your back of your mind. Other things to always think about. Temperature, temperature. Is my patient warm? That's a big one. It's something that's easy. You get 20 minutes into mass transfusion and then you don't realize your patient's temperature's really dropped, right? That's an easily correctable situation. Typically with mass transfusion, I've found that most of our patients in a post-surgical setting often are, are we're just kind of keeping them stable until they can go back to the OR. I've had a few situations where it was a very specific coagulopathy that we were able to uncover and address. But remember, throughout all of this, the key always is what is the underlying reason that we're in this situation and then trying to correct that underlying reason. And often the massive transfusion gets us that time or buys us that time to help us think through and then fix and correct the underlying pathophysiology associated behind why we're bleeding. So anyways, it's something that I think is worth spending a little time because it can be an incredibly stressful moment, but I think with just a little preparation, a little reading, and getting your hands on your mass transfuser, it can really decrease the stress of the event. I highly recommend looking at EMCRIT's website. They have a mass transfusion protocol page that really walks into this in great detail. I'd also say your education department should 100% have an opportunity for you to prime and run a mass transfuser that your unit uses, it's something that should be absolutely done. It's not enough just to prime it. You need to learn how to run it, adjust the flow rates. It's really valuable because that the moment you're doing it is not the first time to do it. And it's something that really can decrease people's stress and just help bring a sense of calm and understanding. And honestly, that brings calm, that brings calmness and confidence to your mid-levels, that brings calmness and confidence as well to your providers when they see those nurses, they understand how to run the machine, they understand the protocols. And the last thing I'll say is if your unit does not have a clearly established protocol for massive transfusion, I think it can be really valuable. Another thing that I can think be really helpful is when you do this, to potentially have a print-off checklist of things to work through. It's something that a charge nurse can quickly pull out and hand to a nurse so that if we have a newer nurse, we have someone new to this process, they can at least have a checklist to work through to think about these things because I think that the more structure you have, 
and high-stress events, the better the outcomes are because it helps guide and focus our mind in incredibly stressful times. Mm -hmm.